Hey everybody, this is Gene Martz and welcome to the Paychecks Business Series podcast. Today's guest is a great one. It's Wendy Chun-Hoon. Wendy is the director of the Women's Bureau at the Department of Labor. What is the Women's Bureau, you may ask? I did not know what it was until I, we did a little research for the show because it is a very, very important part of the Department of Labor. It advocates really for women's rights in the workplace. And Wendy, uh, who is now the 20th director, she's three months on the job. She is working very, very hard uh, for things like paid leave and child care and elder care and you know providing more opportunities for women to get more uh, higher paid jobs as well. And remember, this is a good thing, not only for workers, but for their employers as well, because the more opportunities that we give to people, the happier that our employees are, male and female, the more they stay with us and the lower costs we have of finding new employees, the more productivity we have. So this is conversation is what you need to know as an employer to, to keep your you know employees, particularly your female employees happy, and also to be aware of some of the things that she's working on uh, that are going to be affecting you in the next couple of years. Again, I've got Wendy Chun-Hoon here, who, as I said earlier, is the director of the Women's Bureau at the Department of Labor. Uh, Wendy, uh, first of all, hello, and thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Jane. Yeah, I am glad uh, that you are here. So let's first of all start a little bit about you know what you do, and then we'll talk about you in general um, before we get into the ways you know, what you do and how it affects business owners. But so you're at the Women's Bureau at the Department of Labor. What what does the Women's Bureau do? I'm about three months into this new position. <laughs> Um, and so the Women's Bureau is, is actually authorized by law to, and I'll, I'll read the sentence to you, formulate standards and policies which promote the welfare of wage-earning women, improve their working conditions, increase their efficacy, and advance their opportunities for profitable employment. So in other words, the Women's Bureau really is the only federal agency that's mandated by Congress to work exclusively on issues that affect women in the workplace, but also represent their needs as wage earning women in, in the public policy process. It got, you know, it almost sounds like I didn't read a history of the women's. It almost sounds like this goes back to like World War Two, you know, I, well, I, before, before. before. <laughs> we we are celebrating our centennial year. Uh, it ends on June 5th, I believe. And um, and so, you know, for the past hundred years, the Women's Bureau has served as a trusted resource for research and, you know, a lot of data and statistics, advocacy, as I mentioned, um, a lot of education and outreach to working women. And also, I would say innovation on improving women's, you know, working conditions, employment outcomes, so that, you know, they're thriving and that their families can thrive. Sure. Yeah, that makes that makes complete sense. Yeah, I just finished um, a novel by um, Jennifer Egan called Manhattan oh. Beach. Um, I don't know if you've read it or heard it. She's, a, she's fantastic. And um, and that that whole story took place. Um, your her main character worked uh, basically at a munitions factory in New York during World War II, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. a lot of it was about the working conditions for women back then. Clearly, a lot different than today. Um, but yeah. I can see where the history comes from. I reacted. I thought you were going to mention the Francis Perkins biography. <laughs> also, I did oh, not read list. that, but I hear it's excellent. It is. We we interviewed the author uh, Kirsten Downey, and it was amazing conversation. Yeah, I believe it. I, 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 I th those issues are fascinating. Obviously, um, you know, the, the issues for women in the workplace themselves have, you know, have, you know, it, they become so predominant in the thinking of, of business. 
um, that I can see that your position has become a real important one. Tell us a little bit about your background. Like, how'd you get this job? Mm. Yeah, I have a, I have a kind of diverse uh, career. I, I started um, straight out of graduate school, actually working for a private philanthropy. Okay. So was really thinking a lot about government, about public policy, but also about, you know, working women um, and, and workers, low-wage workers, particularly from a foundation's point of view, um, and sort of trying to influence the process from that, that vantage point. And I spent a little time in state government in the state of Maryland, where I live, and, you know, was working actually with the Department of Human Services. So really thinking about you know, directly how government supports low-wage workers, um, went back into foundations. And, and then for the past 10 years, I've been um, uh, working with a nonprofit organization called Family Values at Work that is, uh, you know, focused on keenly on policies like paid family medical leave, paid sick and safe days, childcare, but again, a lot of the same issues that are just critical to women uh, in the workforce. So Wendy, obviously there are a lot of issues affecting women in the workplace this year, issues that we as employers need to be aware of. So uh, go ahead and give it to me. What are some of the big issues that are affecting women in the workplace in 2021? Yeah, I mean, clearly the pandemic had a massive impact on women's employment and you know resulting economic outcomes. And I, I think it boils down to really, you know, what I would say are two interlocking and you know, mutually reinforcing reasons, you know, first of all, um, because of how women are working and because of what we sort of call in the field occupational segregation. So the fact that women are really focused, a lot of women are really focused in specific sectors mm -hmm. and things like healthcare, education, um, home care, child care, and, you know, what happened to those jobs in the pandemic and how at risk they became. They were sort of in one sense essential, but in other senses, um, really vulnerable to the, the impact of the pandemic. Right. And also sort of on the other end of, you know, the sense of occupational segregation that, that women are really still um, not in many sectors that are the sectors that pay good wages. So, you know, what's considered a non-traditional occupation for women is any sector that's beneath 25% uh, of women in that, in that sector. So there are still too many uh, occupations that, that don't have enough women in them, and they are often the high paying good jobs. Um, and so, you know, both of those things uh, showed up in the, in the pandemic. And then Second, second thing that's reinforcing, as I said, is really the apparent um, impact um, that I think went unnoticed for too long and really, really just became visible. Um, the lack of our country's care infrastructure. So the things like paid leave and child care um, and elder care that are critical to, you know, staying connected to the workforce, having those good supports. You know, those things always seem to fall on the shoulders of, of the woman in the family. And mm -hmm. um, as much as, you know, as much progress as women have made um, over the years, there, it, it, there is still, you know, a systemic unfairness and, um, and, you know, and, and things that do need to be righted. So, so let's go back to the first issue that you said about, you know, there are, there are jobs, high paying jobs that women, you know, that, that lack of representation of women. So what do, you, what do you want to do about that? What are your plans? Do you have any initiatives planned to do something? Yeah. 
You know, I, I mentioned this earlier, uh, the Women's Bureau, part of our mission is to innovate. And um, we are actually uh, allowed to spend parts of our budget on, for example, grants programs. So I mentioned earlier that I had worked in philanthropy and a, a lot of philanthropy is innovation. And so I've been learning about um, one of our principal grant programs. It's it's um, commonly referred to as WANTO, but it's in apprenticeships and non-traditional occupations. And so it's really um, a structure to think about what, uh, what can we be doing more of in the pre-apprenticeship space or apprenticeship space to make sure that more women are getting into those pipelines to good jobs, more people of color are getting into pipelines to good jobs. Um, and, you know, what we're learning from that space is, you know, what's required is certainly the education and training, but it's also things like making sure that we're addressing discrimination and harassment in those workplaces, um, making sure that women who are entering those spaces have good mentorship programs. Mm -hmm making sure that employers are highly attentive to these things. And so, you know, there's both a role for the participant um, and there's a clear role for the employer in those non-traditional occupations to make sure that women are really welcome there, people of color really welcome there. You had said that there's, um, you know, you, you were discovering as you're learning, and this you're three months on the job now, so I'm sure you're <laughs> yeah. still very much in the learning process. But um, so there are grants for apprenticeships, and I'm going to get back to discrimination and harassment yeah. in a minute, but uh, with the grants and you know and apprenticeship are these grants as far as you know are, are they geared you know are they paid to businesses that 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 can bring on women in apprenticeships positions um or are they paid directly to you know the employee to take those apprenticeships it, it's actually to um for example community intermediaries that can be working both with the women who are seeking these jobs and, and seeking getting into these pipelines to good jobs, but also in the employers themselves. Um, so it's really a, a bridging role uh, where the intermediary in the community has relationship with both um, and can really help to, um, to create that bridge um, and create the awareness of what it's gonna take to get more women into these jobs. I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on women being attracted to certain of those jobs and, and doing that. I mean, is that, you know, is it because they're just they're not in that environment? They haven't been raised that way. They weren't exposed to those kinds of opportunities. You know, when they were younger. Um, the reason why, like my my daughter goes to my well, my son is an was an engineering student, and you know there were like three women in his entire program, and the rest were just guys. Meanwhile, my daughter goes to vet school, <clears throat> and there's like 125 people in her class. There are like four guys in her class you know what i mean there's it's like there's this science you know, can apply to both genders but it's almost as if some genders are more drawn to other types of sciences and i was curious what your thoughts are on that yeah i have a, i have a couple of things that are coming to mind i mean i think just even in my um you know in my lifetime i've seen the conversation about women in stem um you know move from like women who are in the workforce age to much younger Right. Young girls who are in, you know, um, seventh, eighth grade approaching high school and really thinking about what kind of career do you want? And look, here's an example of somebody who's been successful. Another woman who's gone before you who's been successful in that. And, you know, your aspirations are limitless. So I, I think that that conversation has changed a bit and uh, quite a bit and um, obviously for the positive. 
you know, I think, you know, there's a part of me that wants to say that, you know, girls are socialized very differently still. And I, I, I'm personally doing everything I can to disrupt it as I raise two young boys, um, you know, away from gender norms and gender stereotypes that have negative impact later on. But, you know, really, um, you know, I, I, I think um, I've watched the conversation on, for example, the gender wage gap and, you know, really disagree with the part of the um, the argument that says the women are choosing jobs. You know, when you're when you're socialized over and over and over again, you know, and, um, you know, some of our data, our data are showing, for example, uh, the point you made earlier about, um, you know, the disproportionate role that or, or the dis- disproportionate responsibility that women have for caregiving. You know, and women are this is what data say women are, you know, spending twice as much time caregiving and the impact that that had in the pandemic to women's labor force participation. Um, You know, it's, these aren't choices there, you know, there's still a lot of socialization that happens. And as you move into these jobs that are considered non-traditional, there's a lot of harassment discrimination. So I think, you know, that we're addressing all sides of that is really important. And we have a lot of, a lot of work to do left. Um, so let's talk about the discrimination and harassment, you know, cause I have some questions for you about that, but even before we do, you know, I was, ju- I, I wrote a couple of years ago about how the, um, you know, the, the one country that has a highly, like a high amount of women in the STEM fields is Russia. And which goes back decades because in the, in the 1960s, uh, during the cold war, uh, particularly under Khrushchev, they 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 said that we, to catch up with America, we're going to be spending you know all of our a significant amount of money on scientific programs, space program, engineering, all that kind of stuff. And a lot of the you know the the families of young girls back then say, well, we need to have our daughters go because that's we're going to follow the money. That's where it is. And now when you look at you know Russian society, there is a significantly higher percentage of women that are in you know in those fields. So it's not a choice. It is not. It's. I mean, they were socialized at an early age to say, "We want you to do this, do it," and you know, and and you know, uh, women responded. So it's just interesting to see. I mean, government really does play a role in those decisions, at least to open up the opportunities um, for females. Okay, so discrimination and harassment. So you know, Wendy, there. I mean, there is the EEOC, obviously, that that you know oversees those kinds of things. Um, what are what are you doing at the Women's Bureau? to you know to you to protect women from discrimination and harassment in the workplace and what do i as an employer need to know about that yeah i i'm sure that you have been um tracking the public policy conversation on the paycheck fairness act which okay. just the house so you know um some of the recent conversation that we've been having is um you know, what is the what's the stuff that we still need to bring to the surface about pay disparity? What are the ways in which, you know, both public policy, but also employers can uh, change practice to make sure that, you know, on the employ- uh, on the public policy side, that that laws are in place to prevent discrimination on the employer practice side to make sure that employers are taking every step and, you know, really looking to best practice um, on things like um, you know, self audits to make sure that, you know, you're, ident- you're able to identify with data, you know, the structural issues that may be um, 
across your business, your your um, your firm in terms of bias, uh, if there if there is any inequity and things like, you know, certainly compensation, but recruitment of candidates, um, negotiations and salary, every point at which you evaluate employees, um, every opportunity, you know, for a new work assignment that builds. Uh, experience um, and expertise in your career and on the job and opportunities for advancement, things like training and development and, you know, promotions. So I think there is a lot of room uh, for work to be done on that front as well. What role will the Women's Bureau play in the ongoing conversation about paid leave Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and your involvement so far in things like the Families vs. Coronavirus Response Act and, you know, getting you know, tax credits for businesses that provide people with time off. Uh, what yeah. role will you guys play? Yeah, a big one, I'm, uh, I'm hoping. Sure. And also, you know, reflecting on the work that we've already done. So um, when you ask the question about discrimination, there is also a very, um, I think, ever-present sort of caregiving discrimination or caregiving penalty that that certainly women who are doing, you know, the lion's share of the caregiving still face. And so um, when I mentioned earlier the innovation role that the Women's Bureau has played and continues to play, a couple of years ago, the Women's Bureau uh, invested, uh, I think, a couple of rounds of grant making to states and locales that were working with uh, certainly local government, advocates and also importantly employers on really thinking about if we were to design a paid leave program for our community, what would work best? What would it need to look like to make sure that it's equitable, has you know incredible impact and works for both workers and employers. So going even back to those those sort of innovations and grant programs and what we learned through that, and certainly um, the most recent conversation the president initiated last uh, last week in his speech, uh, the joint session speech on the American Place Plan, um, you know, knowing that things like paid leave are incredibly important for all workers and especially women to stay connected to work. I mean, the um, you know the headline last fall as school started again. Um, and you had even more moms dropping out uh, of the workforce, you know, was the she session. Um, and, you know, understanding that, you know, 1.6 million fewer moms uh, with, with young kids, kids under 18, were working in the beginning of, at the beginning of this year, mm-hmm. than were, you know, a year ago when the pandemic started. And knowing that, you know, uh, for African-American moms, for la- Latino moms, the, the statistics are, are worse, they're more dire. Um, so really thinking through, um, you know, a paid leave program that is going to be equitable, have the most impact, knowing that, you know, the FMLA, the Family Medical Leave Act, still the only, you know, policy on the books, uh, importantly, make sure that a worker has unpaid leave, but doesn't reach the whole workforce. And, you know, from a lot of workers taking unpaid leave just as impossible, right? right. For- for your family's bottom line. Um, So, you know, one of the things that importantly came out of the American Rescue Plan uh, um, and also was predated by the Families First uh, Coronavirus 
that, as you mentioned, uh, are tax credits to make sure that, you know, employers are supported um, and workers are supported to take that emergency paid leave. So um, one of the resources that we can help elevate through this conversation are uh, the the ARP, American Rescue Plan, uh, tax credits, which are um, available to employers April 1st through September 30th of this year, you know, really making sure that uh, IRS uh, has, is making working hard to make sure that those tax credits are easy to claim. Um, and we'll include a, a link to the fact sheet here. Um, and importantly, also for uh, folks who are getting vaccinated. So yep. it's uh, to, um, make sure that people have the time to get vaccinated. And I just, having gotten my second shot this weekend, know that it takes a few days to recover. So making sure that people can take the time that they need to uh, get vaccinated, recover from the vaccination, but also other, you know, other COVID reasons why people have needed time away from work, kids and childcare, um, you know, your own illness. Uh, sure sure that you're taking care of folks or family members who uh, may have been Im impacted by COVID. You know, it's funny when you talk about, you know, uh, your paid leave. I, I don't think I don't think there's a lot of debate about the importance of it and uh, obviously the impact that it has on women. Um, what freaks employers out, of course, is just who's going to pay for it, you know, and and, you know, you're part of your job is you, you are very influential in crafting this policy because you're coming at it from the aspect of we need to make sure that we are protecting women's workers as part of all of this. Do you get involved in the discussions as to how something like this would be paid for? Um, you know, I mean, like, for example, offering tax credits to employers that provide, you know, this paid, you're paid off sounds like as long as they're refundable tax credits, that sounds like, you know, a very, you know, interesting option for employers, you know, but are there's a conversation that you do get involved in as part of your job? Yeah, you know, I think, uh, wearing, a, I'll, I'll straddle two hats that I was wearing. I, I was saying earlier in the conversation that I spent the last 10 years working with, uh, you know, cities and states and, and local communities in uh, creating their own paid leave programs right. um, and have learned a lot from those programs. So those are, you know, uh, often almost always designed as um, programs that both employees and employers pay into. Um, and they're designed sort of as a, you know, widely shared um, insurance program. And I think we learned a lot from the states uh, that set those up about how they worked, that they were, um, you know, a, certainly a benefit to employers, employees, uh, that they were, you know, pennies on the dollar mm. uh, in terms of uh, the support that they could, you know, provide their workers while also saving money in terms of, uh, you know, costs to rehire, costs to rehire when you lose a worker. Of course. I think, um, you know, what the president uh, uh, announced last week in terms of the American Families Plan is important. It's, it's a continuation of um, what we learned and saw worked uh, last year under the Families First coronavirus response, um, the commitment to extending those tax credits, and then, you know, importantly, taking the next step about how would we do this on a permanent basis, uh, really, you know, to ensure that all workers and all employers are covered. So on that front, we take our cues from the White House and, and really are folding in all lessons, lessons from the states, lessons from what, uh, what was provided last year, really uh, just in time to meet the moment. 
Um, I know we, we, we have limited time left, so I just have a couple you know, final questions for you, Wendy. First of all, um, yeah, obviously you're, you're working in a very, very bipartisan environment, a very divided Congress. Um, you know, we don't know what will happen in the midterms, so you know, all of that. Um, what, can you, what can you at the Women's Bureau get done without congressional approval? You know, what, 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 what can happen um, that, that would give some thought to women workers and also their employees, yeah. employers, excuse me. You know, I, um, I mean, maybe the summary of our entire conversation is we have an obligation and an opportunity to meet the moment of what has happened to workers broadly, our economy broadly, and really specifically women women of color in the pandemic. And, and so I would say that our, you know, our megaphone right now is to make sure that we as the Women's Bureau are addressing equity in wages and working conditions and specifically in the sectors where women um, and especially women of color are represented, sometimes overrepresented. Uh, so, so looking at uh, the care sectors, the health and healthcare sectors, education, um, and those are really importantly, you know, addressed and, and high priorities for the administration and I think for Congress, um, making sure that women are connected to pathways to good jobs um, and really looking at the opportunities that the American Jobs Plan uh, has laid out. Um, again, talking about uh, lifting the profile even further of uh, reducing caregiving penalties for women. Um, so keeping the conversation going and elevated about paid family medical leave, about child care, about elder care. Again, these are all top of mind, top of, you know, top priority conversations that are happening in Congress. And then, you know, doing everything we can to uh, eliminate you know, gender-based discrimination uh, in the workplace itself through things like equal pay um, and you know, knowing that those those uh, policy um, conversations are also top priorities in Congress. Sure. So, so I see um, I see our country uh, uh, demanding <laughs> that we keep the attention and spotlight on these. I see the administration certainly, and also um, Congress really debating uh, and, and deciding uh, what needs to happen and responding to what needs to happen in this moment. We, um, you know, this economy, I've said before, only works to the extent that it works for women. So uh, this is our opportunity to address that. And Wendy, you know, just the final words about, you know, just yourself personally. I mean, say, you know, you have this job for the next eight years, okay? And, um, <laughs> you know, and you're happy at it. And then, you know, you're done after eight years, let's assume, and you go off and do something else. And you look back 20 years mm -hmm. from then. And, and, you know, you say, man, that, you know, my time as director of the Women's Bureau, I, you know, I, I really accomplished these one or two big things, and I'm really proud of it. Um, yeah. what, what would that be? Yeah, I have to say personally, um, it's, to, it's to make sure that we have paid leave. Okay. <laughs> it's to make sure that we have child and elder care. Um, you know, at the level that we need it with as much support as we need it with, you know, as much understanding that these are bottom line, common uh, cause, um, public good types of things. They uh, are critically important, not just for workers, they're critically important for employers. 
And they are, you know, a shared common good that we need as a country. It's what, you know, this is what will keep our economy going and strong, keeps us competitive uh, in the context of the rest of the world, which, <laughs> which often has more than what we have established here. Um, and I think that's what will make the difference. Wendy Chun-Hoon is the director of the Women's Bureau at the Department of Labor. Wendy, just thank you so much. Um, great information. And we will, um, I mean, we'll be back to you in eight years and we'll see if you actually got these things accomplished because you're, you're set on doing it. And I hope you do accomplish them. I think they're great goals to have. And I do think as an employer, um, the initiatives that you've got going on benefit, obviously not just female employees, but listen, happy employees means a happy workplace. And that means productivity and good things for, for employers as well. So uh, thank you very much. For your Jean, time. thank you so much. I, I'm up for the challenge. We are up for the challenge. It's, it's, it's time. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it. Well, thank you. Um, everybody, uh, this has been Gene Marks. You've been listening to the Paychex Business Series podcast. If you'd like more information and help and advice on running your business, visit us at paychex.com forward slash works. Again, I want to thank again my guest, Wendy Chun-Hoon. Uh, we will be back with another episode sometime shortly. We will see you soon. Take care. This podcast is property of Paychex Inc. 2021. All rights reserved.